And I'm Ashley. And we're and reading. We know how to read now. <laughs> we're literati. The ooh, the literati. Yeah. We're the literate. Um, welcome to Celebrity, Celebrity Memoir, Memoir Book Club. Club. A club for us and our books. We're on episode three. I can't believe we've made it to three whole episodes without dying. <laughs> I can because we've made it through 400 episodes of goddamn awfulness. And so the fact that we've made it to a third episode of what I honestly think is a good idea and I think is a I good podcast. I do think it's a good idea. And if you guys agree, I would love to hear from you in a review or a DM or however you feel. No, a review. And if you disagree, I do not want to know about it. If you have constructive criticism, I don't want to know about okay, it. Okay, this is where we differ. I would love constructive <laughs> criticism, even mean criticism. I like get off on criticism. I like like it. So if you have anything negative to say, send it to me via DM. And if you have anything positive to say, for the love of God, like, review, subscribe. <laughs> you guys, for the who's who tabs heads in the back, for the people that have been with us on this journey for four years now, you know that we've put thousands of dollars, countless <laughs> hours, relationships, and literal jobs on the line for this podcast. Like, we have I lost have so much. literally burned several professional bridges because of this podcast or our past podcasts, not this puppy. And I just feel like if you've enjoyed any of it, if you are enjoying this, for the love of God, all you could do is take one second and subscribe or like it or review or even take five seconds. And for the cup of a price of coffee, the huh? <laughs> the cup of a price of a coffee. You the could cup of a coffee price. The cup of a price of puff. <laughs> That wasn't worth <laughs> a Christ puff. <laughs> for nothing more than a Christ puff. You can sign up for our monthly Patreon. Uh, our Patreon. You can yeah. subscribe a monthly subscription early. to our Patreon, which will have more than one monthly episode. And that's where we're hiding the stuff that used to get us used to get our bridges burned. You, I think you can subscribe under a false name. So if you are my boss and you want to fire me, like there's still ways to do it. You just have to like pay us now. Please pay us to fire us, pay us to dump us, pay us to disown us as children. <laughs> um, we just need five bucks. <laughs> but on to our weeks, Ashley. Yeah. What would your memoir be called this week? Okay. So I want to, just for the, the people in the back who may not have listened to last week's episode since last week, last week I called it the fun part. And I was talking about how I was dating around and having a damn blast. And this week's chapter, I would call it You Stupid Simp Bitch. <laughs> oh my God, that is what it would be called. That's so funny. You're right. I went out on a date with someone last Saturday during my the fun part. I went out with one guy Friday, one guy Saturday. Like I was really ignoring the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> hardcore and um then that guy who I went out with Saturday I've hung out with I think five nights this week plus days and days <laughs> we've like spent like most I think I've spent like every waking moment that I haven't been working I've been with him or Claire and like I haven't spent a lot of time with you this week no we've literally only spent podcasting time together no we hung out last Thursday night we just hung out and watched drumline Oh my God. Have you guys seen Drumline? <laughs> Claire <laughs> cried. Stop what you're doing right now and go watch it. Um, what a work of art. I was saying I might get the soundtrack and so you'll come and see me working during the day and I'll just be listening to Drumline <laughs> beats. <laughs> just banging in my ears. But can you tell them what's so special about this guy? How tall is he? He is, you guys, hold on to your stilts. He is six <laughs> foot five. <laughs> No one's ever been so tall. No one's ever been this tall in my entire life. I cannot believe it. And when you sit down, he's still tall? Yeah. And when you stand up, he's even taller? When, when I sit down, he's quite tall, but it's hard to tell because we're both sitting, you know? And then when we stand, it's like, wow, that's some height. That's really beautiful. I understand why you guys hung out one time and never left each other's side because it's, I keep seeing that tweet on Twitter that's like a relationship should be 50-50 and it's like one of you is very tall, the other's obsessed with you being very <laughs> tall and that's kind of the dynamic you two have. Is that already a tweet? <laughs> no, should I tweet that? You should. Okay. Um, and anyway, I just am obsessed with the fact that he's tall. He's proud of being tall. We both don't respect short people very much. It's... <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't even know what we talk about. We talk a lot. Um, but yeah, we've been hanging out a ton. Um, and it's just, 
hilarious that like last week I was like, I'm a slut in the city. And this week I'm just um, like, Domesticated. do you like me? Do you like me now? Do you still like me? How about now? How about today? Tomorrow? Okay. Just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> and the answer has been yes. <laughs> it seems like it, but we'll see. It could change. That's why I just like live on the edge of my seat being like, well, he likes me right now, but tomorrow he could wake up and say, I don't. I feel <laughs> like you're on like emotionally the bus speed. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I feel like you guys are having that kind of a speed relationship where it's like you started at 60 miles per hour and it's like, should you go less than 60 miles per hour? The relationship will end. Should you go more than 60? You know what I mean? Like you guys have hit a critical speed so early and it's like, if you slow down a tad, like literally, yeah, he was like, let's hang out tomorrow. And you were like, tomorrow? (laughs) (laughs) He hates me. (laughs) Normally we're hanging out in, in 20 minutes when you're done doing your one task for today. And it's like. Has anyone coined that this speed relationship where it's like you start out at and like it an- no one has you really you really clocking tweets here. Well, I did so bad with that Chris Pouch thing that I did at the beginning of this episode. That I had to. <laughs> but I do think that that's a kind of relationship where it's like you start out so fast at the beginning that the only way to like not break up is to just maintain that speed. And like that's what happened to me, Mac. Like, yeah, we went on a first date and it was just like. Then we went on a second date. Then we went on a third date. And it had been three days. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, it was you just, had a key to his house within like 18 minutes. And it was just like by week two, I was like, you're my boyfriend, right? And he was like, yep. And I was just like, we have to maintain the speed or it means something bad is happening. I know. I literally wanted to be like, are we talking to other people? But then part of me was like, Ashley, just don't say it. Because literally when the yes. fuck else would anyone have time to see other people? Yeah. We hang out all the time. He like two days this week when he was off work, just like came in hung out with me while I did work. I was like, when else could he possibly be dating? It's, I was just thinking that today about Mac. Like imagine him trying to have an affair. (laughs) Like we work together and we live together and all of his friends left New York. Like I know where he is all the time. time. Right now he's not at home. Why? Because he's he's the one to get us treats. (laughs) He's been standing in line at bakery, getting us a sweet treat and me an eggy vegetable thing. Mm. So, um anyway what would you title your mem this week oh okay the slow still pain of death (laughs) Um, excuse me (laughs) excuse okay maybe that's like an overstatement perdone (laughs) oh somebody's been watching emily in paris (laughs) um okay maybe not that but it's something along the lines remember last week or two weeks ago when i went out on a couple days with that french guy and then i watched emily in paris and then he started to annoy me i wonder if it's because of emily in paris i can see that i watched four minutes of that show and had to give up i did not like it i don't i understand that we're literally in a pandemic and beggars can't be choosers and not a lot of things were in the pipeline pre-pan the pipeline pan the pre-pan pipeline but um i literally think that still no from me it is literally a show about how skinny lily collins's legs are and that's it well okay so i watched exactly two minutes and 38 seconds and here were the things i clocked that made me mad about it okay um, one, it starts with her having run 5.3 miles in 41 in minutes coat. in a puffy coat. Nobody has the dexterity for that shit. That made no sense. She was wearing like a high fashion going out coat to run quickly. Absolutely not. She'd be sweating her balls off. She, you, you can't move your arms fast enough in a coat that puffy to clock that kind she of looks ridiculous and it it literally was a coat designed to be like can you believe how skinny her legs are and then also so then you move on to the next scene where she gets her job her dream job the woman is makes a joke about being old so i came to this from younger i loved younger and immediately this show starts making jokes about being older and i was like what was this ageist 180 this woman gets pregnant so she can't get a job anymore like what the fuck is happening i mean all these jokes about her age that made me mad then she gets the job here's where i get even angrier uh-huh she goes to the sports bar with her boyfriend to watch the cubs play yes it seems like they've been together for some time quite some time it seems like he's a huge cubs fan huge they hit the ball and she goes what does that mean and he goes that means they like ran a base and i'm just like baseball is pretty straightforward in terms of when you like you obviously want to hit the ball and run around the bases for her to not understand that made me so angry if they've been there for more than 22 minutes and if she has been alive on this planet for more than 22 minutes she should have known that yeah here's then she gets to paris there's that whole drama i can't even we're gonna skip to my final thing when i just turned it off we're gonna skip to the fact that she like could not fathom living in a (laughs) walk-up 
Okay, but even what makes me angrier is so now she's meeting the head of the fashion label that she's come to keep eyes on, and she's wearing a crop top to work. That makes me mad. And then it comes out that she doesn't know anything about fashion, that she comes from a pharmaceutical background. So then I go, Ashley, I go, she doesn't know about fashione? Then and why, why is she, she dressed like that? this? <laughs> If she doesn't, if her character, the whole point of her character, she doesn't know about fashion, then why is she taking the kind of risk that she can wear a crop top to work? Why is she taking the kind of risk that she can wear a fashionable yellow plaid puffer jacket on a run? That doesn't make any fucking sense. If she doesn't know anything about fashion, then why doesn't she know anything about football? I mean, baseball. Why doesn't she know, like, why does she take so many risks? If she is a pharmaceutical. Shouldn't she be a boring pharmaceutical lady who, like, showed up in, like, a pencil skirt? And then they should have been like, this is fashion, bitch. Put on a crop top. She should not have walked in there with the most daring outfit out of everybody in the fashion world. It was insane. That's when I said, this doesn't make any fucking sense. This character has not been thought out. I agree. Anyway. That's why I turned it off. Anyway, back to- Your slow, painful death week. (laughs) Let's hear about it. Well, I say it's slow because it's been happening for months. Uh Um, I have lupus now. (laughs) Uh, I I didn't realize you were that rich. (laughs) I'm rich enough for lupus, not rich enough for limes. Um, It's (laughs) upper middle class. (laughs) Anyway, I was rich 10 years ago, and then I lost all my money in a bad stock choice. And, and now it's lupus, <laughs> when you could have been on your limes bed. But I'm really having a hard time at work. Oh, no. Because it's like I go in there, and the boredom, like, calcifies around me. I was just saying, that, like, I used to do this job, and I mean, I feel very lucky to have it in terms... In my normal life, for me, it was the perfect job. You know what I mean? It was very nine to six. I was out. I never had to take work home. There was a great work-life balance. It wasn't so challenging that, like, I'd go home at night and be, like, stressed about it. Like, great benefits. Well, I mean, honestly, overall, it was a great job. And then I would go, and to me, my day job is just as much a part of my comedy journey as going to mics. Like, I have to make money and hold myself over until I become a professional stand-up comedian and (laughs) you said that like moira (laughs) and um i'm very far away from that and so like it's so it's never been a problem for me i'm just like i go and this is like one of the you have a lifestyle to maintain well it's like one of the hair masks to buy (laughs) but it was just like one of the mundane parts of stand-up to me that i was like it serves the greater like purpose. During the day, I sit at a desk in heels, and at night, I get to do stand-up, and I don't it's starve. It's worth it. Yeah, and yeah. it's worth it to me. Now that stand-up is gone, let me tell you, it is brutal to go and just spend 45 hours a week trapped at a desk. There's very little communication now because we're only 50% in. I feel very isolated. Nobody talks. I don't even get to go out for... Like, they order lunch in for us, which should be nice in theory, but it means I don't go out for lunch anymore, which yeah. means I don't leave the building. They also pay for Ubers, which is also nice in theory, but now I'm caught in traffic, so it takes like 45 to 50 minutes in the morning to get in, and you're caught in a car with your mask on and it's very like claustrophobic and I get very stressed so now it's like from 8 a.m. till 7 p.m. I'm in this car in a desk not going outside claustrophobic and stressed yeah and wearing uncomfy trousers I'm trying to like go for more walks during the day I've actually just started taking the subway even though I am allowed to take an uber and they don't want us to take the subway just because I'm like I can't like I need to walk up and down stairs at least once in the morning to like yeah get my blood flowing I'm I don't know. It's just like there's not much to do. So there's even less than normal to do. And it's very like... you can't schedule meetings. Yeah, there's like very little going on. But it's like not enough to hold my attention. So it's like if I only went in for two hours a day, I'd be so much more productive because I'd be like, go in, get your shit done, leave. But now it's like because I'm like just dreading. By the end of the day, I leave. And sometimes if the other admin doesn't come in, I like cry in the uber because i just feel so alone and i really am like an extrovert and that like i need little conversations i can't even get my coffee in the morning anymore yeah you need the little chats the small talking the a weird like side effect of the pandemic which is obviously like the least important whatever i mean that goes without saying i'm not trying to fucking sit here and be like my life is sad my life is very good i'm very lucky as far as pandemic lives but you know yeah 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 (laughs) one of the loves of my life is to get a victoria cup of coffee in the morning Mm -hmm. and you can't do that anymore because you can't drink it on the subway or drinking it in an uber because you have a mask on yeah so now it gets cold by the time you get to the office yeah i'm getting a hot cup of coffee and then just holding it for 50 minutes and it's spilling all over the uber spilling all over the subway so now i don't get my coffee till i get there and by that point like the tiredness is just like locked into me yeah and like i've never been a person who like hated going to work or like dreaded mondays like at the end of the day, I'm pretty peppy wherever you put me. <laughs> and I've been broken. I like go to work and on Mondays, I like I hate that I'm even saying this being like Mondays, but I get there and it like the whole day, I just feel like my eyes are like physically welded shut. It's like the psych 
psychology of being there is like exhausting to me. I feel drained in a way I can't explain. Thursday, when you came over and just watched TV, it's like, I've been at work all day. I was supposed to do a comedy show. The comedy show got canceled last minute. I was so just like devastated by that blow, but in a way where it's like, I can't do anything else. Cause it's like, I'm sitting yeah. alone at my desk for nine hours. I have nowhere to go. Nobody talks to me. I have nothing that like challenges my brain, engages my mind, makes me think. I'm, I just feel like I'm getting dumber and duller. Like, I feel like my light is like dimming. The less interaction I have, the more tired I get. And the more tired I get, like the less I can even push. And it's just like this doubt. I don't know. I'm just like, I don't know how much longer I can take it, honestly. Slow and painful death. Especially I get it. since like winter is coming and Ugh. like the little bit of comedy exp- exposure I'm getting now is going to grind to a halt once it's too cold to go outside. Yeah. I like, I really am like, I don't know if I can have no stimulus all day, every day. Like, you are my only creative stimulus right now. It's you. You're it. And I need, I just like need another thought in my mind because I feel like we've run through most of them. Yeah, we have run through a lot of thought. I am in a unwell place. Like, I'm day to day good. I'm better than I was in the summer. In the summer, I was bad. I was like down and out, but now I'm like up and like up and at them, but going but nowhere slogging <laughs> yeah i'm up in slogging i was done and out and now i'm slogging but whatever should we get into this week's podcast i think so is it time <laughs> okay you guys i'm so excited to introduce our next book holly madison you know her as the girls next door and she doesn't want you to know her as that <laughs> her her book starts with the story of this small girl from Northwest America and slash Alaska who had dreams of making it big. She had been inspired by Marilyn Monroe. She talks about auditioning for Playboy as she, a college girl and not getting it. She talks about moving to LA to try to become an actress after dropping out of college. She needed somewhere to live. She, she had been invited to the Playboy Mansion before. She had gotten a boob job. She started hanging out with them. She got invited into have. Uh, mansion. She got to live there as girlfriend number seven. She slowly like eked her way out to the top by beating every other girlfriend, by being sort of a narc. She didn't get along with anybody. Nobody liked her. Then whenever she got uh, promoted to head girlfriend, they brought in two more, and that's when The Girls Next Door started. The Girls Next Door, of course, is E's number one show, starring Holly, Kendra, and Bridget. And Hugh Hefner, living their fun little Playboy lives. It was completely produced by the Playboy Mansion and by E. They had very little say. They weren't even paid. That show was a mega success. They all went on to do different things. Holly then broke out, Was went on to move to L.A., not L.A., Las Vegas, date Chris Angel, star in Peep Show, have her own E spinoff, which eventually got canceled after two seasons before she met her former husband who was the head of the Electric Daisy Festival and had a child named Rainbow. Um, this is Holly's World and she is down the rabbit hole. Come with us. Ask me. Okay, I like want to start this with something that I've noticed in all of these books that we've read so far. I know this is only the second um, author that we're speaking about on the podcast, but it uh-huh. is like the third or fourth memoir I've now read. These memoirs all have, they all start with an author's note and then they have a prologue and then they have a first chapter. What is that? It's your own book. Just write it. High, like start where you think it should start. I thought you like, were going to say 9-11. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I just think it's insane that these people are like, you, for the, you get to write your life exactly how you want it. And the idea that they were like, actually just for context and they're like actually to contextualize that context <laughs> it's, like, it's like yeah just say whatever you want to fucking say about yourself like like start the book where you want to start it you don't need to write the book like in and, a certain yes. way and then and be like and back it up real quick and then back <laughs> that up real quick then, yeah literally that's what they're doing they're starting the book where they think it should start and then being like but actually before you we start there you should have known this one thing and then also the author's note is just like by the way what i'm trying to do with this book it's like if you are the one writing the book and it's about you you should it should be very clear what you're trying to do with the book like you should have to be like okay here was the goal of this book let me know if it were. like it's just like say what you want to fucking say these people have so much more to say about themselves and then the second thing i want to say just from a structural aspect of this book is she starts every chapter with a 
a Lewis Carroll quote from Alice in Wonderland. And it's just like, shut up. Do not like we get it. You went down a rabbit hole. (laughs) And it's just like, I do feel like that is such, that's a children's book that everybody can reference to make themselves seem smarter. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a children's book with cursive. And so people were like, this is a fancy children's book. Yeah. I mean, it's (laughs) a magnet for your refrigerator. Your refrigerator (laughs) doesn't have thoughts now. Just like this book barely has any thoughts in it. But I just want to say it is funny how much like annotation she does to her own book, like self annotating her own yeah. self written book about her own life. She loves to like side note things. And it's just like, just tell us the note in the way that you wanted, like tell us the story in the way that you want to tell it. You don't have to like say how others felt and then be like, side note, in my opinion, it's mm-hmm. like the whole book is your opinion. <laughs> oh, what an opinion it is. It's such a bad opinion. Um, yeah. I have very complex feelings about this opinion that she shares and it's like really hard. Should we get into our personal feelings about Holly Madison before the book? Yes. Okay. Hit me. Okay. I loved Holly Madison before the book. I mean, I didn't love her specifically, but I loved the girls next door. I had pretty much only positive feelings towards her. Like I remember watching that show and just feeling so like, I felt like they were just so endearing. Like they were just these like cute little blonde girls with huge tits bouncing around a mansion. And like they had this like weird father figure boyfriend that they would like ask for permission to do everything. And they like beg him to hold their dogs and stuff. It was like this goofy show that I like couldn't believe was on television, but I loved watching it. And I liked that. Like I liked watching them all succeed. Um, in their own ways. I don't know if Bridget really, I remember when she got her weather channel show or whatever, being like happy for her. I remember Kendra being so happy for her. Like Holly. I followed her to the bitter end. I mean, I obviously identified as a Kendra. Mm-hmm. I loved that show. I loved Kendra. Until this show, until this book, I forgot how important that show was in my formative Same. Teen years. I, and, like, I adored I Kendra. I remember I got to a huge fight with my mom one time because I was watching Kendra on top mm-hmm. and my mom came on and turned it off and goes, this is a feminist household. And I like laughed in her face and I was like, no, it's not. Of course it was. I just didn't know it at the time. At the time, <laughs> feminism was not cool because of the girls next door. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like... I hate women's rights. I love Playboy bunnies. Let me watch my show. But I mean, I loved Kendra from day one. I followed her to Kendra on top. I followed her to the tabloids after. I followed her into the garage where her husband was caught having sex with a transgendered hooker. I like followed her after that. I check in on her. She has the cutest children. Can I tell you guys how much this book sparked it for me, like a, a remembrance of how important that show was for me. But when I was living in Los Angeles in PR, I was doing local television with a client of mine and the other guests on the show, little did I know that day, were Kendra. And I've showed you the picture that I have with both of them. I think I'm going to save it for we also have Kendra's book and we'll be doing that um, down the line. But the like excitement that flooded my body when Kendra and Hank walked into the room. I like hadn't, I could not have seen that coming. Like I lived in Los Angeles. I don't want to brag, but I've been in the same room as celebrities before (laughs) and seeing Kendra and Hank, I was like shaken. I like didn't know what to do. I like went silent in the corner. Um, I like, I truly didn't know how to handle it. And then my boss like saw me white as a sheet and was just like, is there something we can do? And like Kendra and Hank had left the room and I was like, I just was so excited to see Kendra and Hank. I wonder if they'd take a picture with me. Is that okay for me to ask? And he was like, yeah, I think you can go ask. And so I asked them for a photo and they had an assistant with them and, oh no, they had an assistant with them, but I asked for a photo I asked Kendra and then she handed my phone to Hank and I was like, could Hank be in the photo too? And he was so happy that I didn't just want a photo with Kendra. Oh, I love the girls next door. I loved them too. She was so sporty. I look back, I, go, I don't know really what made her sporty other than that. She would always like put her boobs on soccer balls. Yeah. I feel like she wore a lot of sports bras and maybe I'm like a oh, sporty one. <laughs> That's me. No, she didn't wear bras. Um, no, I think she I wore invent- <laughs> at that time. Everyone wore bras. She wore like jerseys a lot. Yeah. She was very like the girl next door. She married the football player. Um, she's been tackled by life. I would say <laughs> <laughs> in that sense, she was very NHL or NFL. I love them. I can't believe you got to meet them. What a treat. It was honestly a joy. Um, I felt like personally heartbroken when they broke up. That was recently. They stuck it out like longer than anybody should have stuck longer it out. Longer than anyone could have expected. They lasted long. Like, honestly, it must have been a real marriage for it to have lasted that long. They were it's like, like 10 or 12 years. 
Yeah, I'm proud of them. That's like a success. Yeah, that means that's till death do us part. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know how like the human body like regenerates all of its cells every seven years. So like yeah. in seven years, you're like a fully new So they person. did like one and a half life cycles well, together. Well, then you like update that to like Hollywood where all of your body is actually filled with plastic. And you're like, okay, they like... The Kendra that met Hank, they persevered in the way you know that I mean? like they did make it till death do us part <laughs> about the, those boobs and like those cells and like that godforsaken heat and color dyed damaged hair. God, her hair was so crazy, especially when she started on that show and she like didn't have years of like fa- like when she was probably just like peroxiding it, peroxiding herself, it yeah. in her bathtub. Literally just taking hydrogen peroxide and putting it in her shower and washing her whole body with it. <laughs> I am um, That's actually, why they were so shiny. That's why they looked so buffed. Because they were just like <laughs> to shine. burnt all the time. The shine was the scar tissue from just accidentally jumping in bleach. <laughs> to like get rid of like uh, Hughes come. Okay, but let's talk about in this book. I feel like before we get to like overall topics, I do think we should... Just spoiler alert, some of the big name drops. Right out the back. Right out the back. Bat. Is that, right it's right off the, the bat, back. you sporty bitch. <laughs> right out the back. Um. <laughs> I felt so, like, warm and, like, protective over these girls. Like, I just loved them. They were, like, with me through my high school years when I was learning what it means to be a woman. They taught me everything I know. And then reading this book, the amount of, like, anger and resentment throughout all of it is very tough to read it's tough to read because it feels unhealthy still like it still feels like she is angry but not healed from the damage of the house yeah and I don't know who she's angry like she's angry at playboy at hef but it seems at the other girls almost more than anything she's mad at the other girls for being the problems that she was accused of being like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. What hurt her the most was the opinion of others that she was just this dumb prostitute. And she's like, and people only thought that of me because the other girls were dumb prostitutes. And that's like a hard take to be sympathetic with. It is a tough take to like to, for an example, like we were talking about their bleach blonde bodies. Um, she talks about how she would, um, like dye her hair in the bathtub bleach blonde before she knew that they had an open tab at a local salon. Um, And then like right maybe within the same page, she calls Hef's other girlfriends like a parade of bottle blondes. Yeah. And it's like you are kneeling over a bathtub to bleach your own head off. And like you're calling like what are you if not you know what I mean? No, I mean it really (laughs) is. It's the it's the central problem of this book is that the entire thing is like a plight of Holly Madison to get your sympathy, to get you to understand where she was coming from, for her to be like, I knew it was awful. I just couldn't get out. Like, I'm not stupid. I'm not just a whore. I wasn't just after his money. And then in the same breath, she turns around and accuses all the other women of being exactly what she hated being accused of. And it's like just weird that she doesn't have any perspective that maybe they also felt similarly, that they were also trapped. And also that she was... I mean, she says that these women were just having sex with have to take as much money as they could to get as much as they could out of him. And it was like, she was there for a room and board. You just were a less expensive prostitute. You just had like a lower overhead price. Yeah. I mean, so this is um, something I want to cite from the book. Uh, alert to the media. We're bringing a fact into Quote the mix. alert. Burp, burp, burp. Quote alert. Um, she says, I noticed after being intimate with Hef, the girls fell into one of three categories. The hustler, the runner, or the fighter. And she... Um, considers herself a fighter, not a hustler. Well, can you actually just read that whole quote? Because I think it's important. I mean, it's like a whole page. I but, just, okay, so it's a hustler. The hustler is the one who is like, okay, now I've had sex with him. I'm in the mix. I might as well just like get as much money and fame and attention and whatever I can out of the situation, like free shit, free everything. The runner is the one who after that night is just like, what the fuck did I just do? I'm out of here. And they're never to be seen again around the mansion usually. And then what is, how does Holly define herself the fighter? Um, the fighter. I was freaked out and frankly ashamed of the experience. After disappointing myself like that, I had to come away with something positive, something to make it right in my mind somehow. I knew that I couldn't find a silver lining. Um, I knew that if I couldn't find a silver lining, I couldn't forgive myself for the night before. The other girls who would react as I did were probably the most damaged and affected. We couldn't shrug it off so easy. We couldn't so easily shrug off what we'd been reduced to. It would haunt us. But in order to move forward, we needed to find an upside. That 
doesn't seem in any, I don't even see how fighter defines that context at all. But if she does consider herself a fighter, someone who like fought, like what was she fighting by then moving into the house after that? Like and getting, which, how is that different than a hustler? And then also interestingly enough, I didn't even, on the second hearing, now that I've read the whole book, it's interesting she says that there's other girls like her. Yeah. Because in the 27 other girlfriends that exist in Holly's eight years at the, Madis- at the house, to her, they're all hustlers. Right. Like, she says there was other girls like her that were fighters, but she doesn't list any of them. She calls them all whores. She calls them literally yeah. concubines, prostitutes. She says that they're just there to get as much as they can from half, that they were terrible to half. That's what I think is so fucked up. She thinks she played the rule, played the game correctly, and therefore she deserves more credit than the other girls. Because yeah. she was like, she wasn't a prostitute because she played by, like, the pimp's rules. Totally. Okay, so this is where my feelings get very complicated towards her. And I want to just like trigger warning, recognize up front that I like have shit to like, I don't know what is like the right way to feel about this book, but it really sits strangely with me that like from that first night where she, so basically the way it works is like when you're, lots of people are invited to hang out at the mansion for pool parties and like, there's like the big parties that, I mean, it's still like a hot ticket at this time to get invited to like the Midsummer Night's Dream Party or like one of those big parties. And then from there, if you catch Hef's Eye, you can get invited to these Sunday pool parties, which are like only for the hot girls. Um, and they just like hang by the pool and whatever. And then, and there's like movie nights and stuff. And then from there, the much more exclusive invite is like the clubbing nights. He goes clubbing on Wednesdays and Fridays. And then... From there, after club nights, you have to go back to the bedroom with him. They all have sex. It's disgusting. And then those are the girls who are kind of like auditioning for a girlfriend spot, right? Mm -hmm. So like she spent over a year going to the pool parties, working her way up to the clubbing nights, which she asked to be a part of. Then she went back to the bedroom. She was horrified with herself with having gone back to the bedroom with them and then asked to move into the mansion. She like requested to become a girlfriend And this whole time is like talking about how disgusted she was with herself and how much she didn't want that. But then she was also doing it and then complaining about how horrible her life was for the next eight years. And it's like very hard for me to sympathize with a situation that she like truly asked to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, she literally asked Heft if she could be a girlfriend and move in because she had nowhere else to live. So it's yeah. like so funny that she's like, I was a fighter. And it was like, no, you were a hustler. You had sex with them. And you're like, well, now can I live here? Because I don't, exactly. I don't want to pay rent anywhere Like else. she talks about how she calculatingly was like, can I go to a clubbing night? I think that that's my first step for being a girlfriend. She talks about how there was another girl at that club night who was like, it looks like also sort of auditioning for the open girlfriend spot. And she was like, I have to beat this girl because this is my only chance to like have somewhere to live. Like there's other ways to get a place to live. Also like um, what I find damning is that this wasn't her first run in with Playboy. Like she had auditioned when she was 19, fresh out of like in the middle of college or Mm -hmm. freshman year of college. She auditioned again later, I think. Like she really wanted to be a playmate. She wanted to be a Playboy bunny. Like yeah. She did what she had to to get her goal, which is specifically, it wasn't just like to have somewhere free to live or to have a boyfriend. It was like specifically to be she in Playboy. She wanted to be in Playboy. She talks very regularly about how Hef had stopped putting um, girlfriends in the magazine because he didn't want his girlfriends to only be with him because they were vying for a spot in the magazine. Like she says, right before her sort of term as a girlfriend started, being a girlfriend was like the easiest step to becoming a Playmate of the Month. Um, and then and the problem was once they got playmate, they got they what they dip. needed. They would yeah. leave. Yeah. So he had stopped doing that, but not told them like he hadn't told any of his girlfriends that he was no longer making girlfriends playmate of the month. And she talks about this, like it's this insane slight, like this horrible manipulative move that he's no longer like putting girlfriends in the magazine because he wants his girlfriends to be dating him for him, not to be, um, like centerfolds and it's just like I don't know like I do think it's disgusting that he thinks that there's like these 20 year old girls who want to date him for him and not to get something out of it but I also like get why he's like okay the perks have got to calm down I want people to like not just be running around my house using me even though it's like using him but I think like it's just the factory had to slow down I think mm -hmm. he was like "I, I can't have this can't be a flop house I need somebody that's here for eight years like Holly I am it's interesting though, now think every single playmate had sex with half. Yeah. 
Like it's crazy. Time, it's crazy. And then another thing that's very interesting that came out of this book was that um, they rent the rooms. Yeah. Hath rents his room for $25,000 a month that he rents all the rooms for the girlfriend. Like Playboy Enterprises owns the mansion and he as a person rents the rooms within the mansion for his personal use and for his girlfriends to live in. So one of the fights that comes up is that she wanted her own room because when she became main girlfriend, she had to move in with Hath and all she got was like a desk in the closet. Mm-hmm. And so she asked if she could take one of the littler rooms, which... Side note was a room that was used by her, his kids when his two sons slept over. Yeah. There was like a room with like bunk beds in it or something or like two twin beds. And like that's where the kids slept. And when the kids weren't there, that's where the bunnies slept. I guess sometimes the bunnies would be roommates with the kids. What the fuck? That is horrifying. Imagine. How does that fuck you up as a little kid to grow up and be like, I'm not worth my own room at dad's house. That's a literal mansion where he has seven girlfriends that all have their own rooms. I mean, honestly, I don't think that the kids should have slept over there ever. Like, not even, like, I'm not worth my own room. Like, I don't think that the kids should be sleeping over in a house with, like, their 80-year-old father and his seven girlfriends. And, like, a business. Yeah. Like, it really was, like, half a business, half a brothel, half, like, a nursing home. It's so crazy. Um, But, yeah, so that is, like, where it gets very complex for me is, like, I... I do think she, like, didn't know the level of emotional abuse she was signing up for. But I also think she did sign up for something. And then she, like, kept on... She's just constantly, like, it's not what I thought it would be. And then when she first joins, the other girlfriends who are already there are quite mean to her. And then when they are finally all gone and there's like but sort of a new guard. you get why they were mean to her. Like she, yeah, of I don't course. think she understands why they were mean to her. But they were mean to her because they... so. I would say reading this using Holly's definitions of fighter is just a hustler who's not good at it. Yeah. <laughs> a, a fighter is a hustler who like can't put anything into their 401k. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. A fighter is a hustler with no foresight. A fighter um, is a hustler who's trying to hustle, but instead they just keep like fighting a losing battle. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a hustler with no exit plan, no contingency. Yeah. And they all were using the mansion as they should as like a career launching. I mean, I have no problem with sex work. If this is what you're, if you're like, look, I'm going to have sex with, um, Hugh Hefner. I mean, Anya Volts actually has a joke that it's like sex work is work and that's why I yeah. won't do it. <laughs> But it's I, like, I feel that like, look, if that's what you, that's, it's your body, it's your decision. It is like a launching platform. I mean, it's, it worked for fucking Demi Lovato's former fiance. Like people do that shit all the time. They use people and sex is involved and it's a relationship. Look at Hillary and Bill Clinton. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but my point from the is, kids. They're I don't <laughs> hate them, but she was always telling on them. Like they didn't owe that man anything. That man was trying to keep them captive and hold mm-hmm. them back from making any money. And like. Part of the reason why she was stuck there is because she never had another job. He never paid her for anything. She didn't get paid at the beginning of Girls Next Door. She didn't get, she barely got paid to be in the magazine. Like, I mean, she had no money to leave and that is like an abusive tactic. So like her anger towards the other women was that they weren't falling for like the abusive, toxic tactics of the mansion and she wanted to rat them out. And I was like, she is the enemy. She was worse than any of the other girls who were like, be a prostitute. I don't give a fuck. If you're hot, that's what you want to do, then do it. This is what I mean is like, I don't have a problem with the other girls who are doing this. And I don't have a problem with the fact that Holly did it. I have a problem with the fact that she thinks that she was like tricked into Mm. something that she had no control over because I don't think that she had no control. Like I'm not saying that it's like the bad things that happened to her are her fault, but I do think the fact that she feels like she is just like completely exempt from any sort of accountability is incorrect. Well, I, I feel frustrated with where she draws the line of morality. That like yeah. what she was doing, having sex with this old man who was mean to her for free room and board was okay. But then when these other women were going off and having sex with like sultans of Dubai or whatever, then that was disgusting and that right. was too far. And I just kind of feel like, fuck, like half she would rat them out. They weren't supposed to be doing that. And, but that's just like men trying to own women's bodies. Like he wanted to give these girls like a, a blue check mark stamp of being officially hot. Right. And then they wanted to then use that as like a resume builder to like have a better sex career, which is like, God bless him. And he was like, you can't do that. And it's like, you can't tell someone they're hot and then say, but you're not allowed to use right. that diploma of hotness to get a better job. Do you know what I mean? And it's just like, So the reason that she, okay, so the reason she moved in in the first place is because when she was like 18 or 19 years old, still living in like Wyoming or wherever the fuck she's from, she's from Seattle, I think. Well, she's from Washington. Well, she's originally from Alaska, but then she lived in like one of those green, evergreen, full states. 
um, up top. You know those? You guys know those? Um, <laughs> anyway. Pacific Northwest. Sure. <laughs> Whatever they call it. West, East. Nobody knows. <laughs> um, so she was from, and when she was like fresh out of high school, she got a credit card and maxed it out to get herself boobs. Um, which I, again, don't begrudge a boob job. Like, I think that's a great move. She was talking about she always felt insecure about her chest and she got a new chest. Happy for her. Then when she moved to LA, she moved in with a friend who after like a year or so wanted to have her brother move in. So she was kicking Holly out and Holly could not get her own apartment because her credit was in the toilet because she maxed out her credit card on a boob job when she was 18. And that is why she asked to move into the mansion. She like could not fathom. She's like, I can't get a lease of my own and I have to move into it. Like that was her only thought process. That feels insane. Yeah. <laughs> like her idea of work later in the books, um, she talks about like during the girls next door. I don't know if you guys remember this plot line, but she was a photo editor, a photo assistant or whatever at Playboy. Like she was always there working on the pictorials, which is, I don't know if that's a word. <laughs> I guess it is. I anyway. think she would know. So they were always working on these pictorials. Um, and she talks about how hard she had to work to get that job. She, I guess it's in an editorial, but with pictures. Yes. She talks about how hard she had to work to get that job. And when she like cites the hard work she went through, she talks about how she um, pitched it for several seasons before they said yes. She's like, you don't know how hard I had to work to get this. I asked several times. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what is... Like, when she didn't have an apartment anymore, her only option was to move in with Hef. Like, when she wanted something very badly, her only thought process was to ask several times. Like, what is her concept of working? (laughs) No, it's not a lot. And then on top of that, like, her hatred of everybody else, how she thinks everybody else is lazy and stupid. Like, the way she goes after Kendra. And look, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, I think Kendra would have scored high on her SATs. But I think there's a lot of kinds of intelligence. And also just, like... That word smart is like really, I don't know, like whatever. At the end of the day, is Kendra happy with her life? And the anger she had towards Kendra was that Kendra was succeeding more than she was. And that's why Kendra Mm -hmm. was stupid. Because Hollywood, I mean, one of the big shockers I thought was that they didn't get paid for season one or season two of um, The Girls Next Door. That is shocking. And And I think Kendra was the one who asked after season one, shouldn't we be getting paid? Kendra was the only one of the three of them with the balls to even ask it. And she was shot down. They were told they're replaceable, which is insane because even if everybody is replaceable, that still means you have to get paid. I mean, everyone gets paid a minimum wage. It's insane. But uh, there was all these rules. Like they couldn't have their own managers except for Kendra. Kendra came in, got her own bed Kendra was allowed to break curfew Kendra was allowed to wear red lipstick which was like a real important part of the book because at one point Holly had done this thing where she tried to do like a Marilyn Monroe look where she cut her hair short and did red lipstick and Hef just like completely like cut her down and told her she looked ugly and he hated it and made her take it off and never do that again and then one day Kendra came down in red lipstick and he loved that about her Mm -hmm. and for some reason that's Kendra being stupid because yeah. Kendra was breaking the rules and getting away with it. But it was like, I don't know. It just seems like Kendra was less afraid and like therefore wielded her power more effectively. You were so insecure. You were so easy to break. And I don't want to hold her against that, hold that against her. But I do think to call anybody who's do- living the life you want to live stupid is like a very clear projection of your own insecurities and like feelings of futility. Totally. She just comes off very insecure to this day. Like none of it feels resolved. Um, I do think it's really interesting, the red lipstick thing. She had actually been warned by other girls that Hef despised red lipstick. And she went ahead and A, cut her hair short, which like it is very clear what Hef finds attractive. Like if you want to be attractive to him, I like know exactly what I would change about myself to be attractive in a Playboy setting. Like it is clear cut. She cut her hair short and put on red lipstick, which she obviously short hair is not like the Playboy thing. Like red lipstick she'd been told specifically was something have hated and then she was so shocked and devastated when he screamed at her and it's like yeah I think him screaming at her is absolutely psychotic but like she was told <laughs> like what did she think was gonna happen I don't know I will say this I think one of the mistakes of the Holly Madison book is that the theme is it's not fair that everyone thinks I'm just this dumb Playboy bunny. I'm so much more than Playboy. Playboy's held me back. I don't want to be associated with Playboy anymore. I'm actually very smart and capable. Here's my issue for it, though. It Mm -hmm. literally, the book starts 
there's like five pages dedicated to everything that happens up until she gets into the mansion. And then there's 10 pages dedicated to after she leaves the mansion. And she's like had a fucking baby since then. (laughs) I mean, the book is about the mansion. And then I think what really was a mistake is that there's no like childhood. Clearly there's something wrong with this girl that she needs Hef's approval so badly. Mm -hmm. One of the like... Uh, one of the constants in the book is that she feels a lot of sympathy for Hef and doesn't want anybody to laugh at him. And no matter how awful he is to her, no matter how many other girlfriends, how many girls he turns against her, the ways he like belittles her about her body, he doesn't let her have any success. He, he takes things away from her. She still is very protective of him and doesn't want anyone to laugh at him, doesn't want anyone to make fun of him. And, um, and it's like, yeah, dude, that's on you then. Like she like holds back from doing all of these other things. Like she says she's one of the only girls to ever not cheat on Hef and have an outside of the house boyfriend. And she acts like that's this admirable quality. And it's like, yeah, he has six other girlfriends while you're living with, like he's openly cheating on you. The idea that you should have such sanct, like treated yeah. with such, uh, the sanctity of this relationship is so important to you is insane because it's not important to him. And I kind of feel like if she had given any context as to like what her childhood was like that made her feel so desperate for his love, it would have been easier to feel bad for her. But instead she just came in and was like, I'm smart. Yeah, I'm smart. Even though I spent eight years miserable, trapped in a hellhole that everyone else was able to escape. Cause that's the crazy thing is she's like, she was in it for eight years. Nobody else was in it that long. Nobody else was in it. All the other girlfriends came in and went, nobody else lasted more than two years. Even when they, they would come back and get stuff. I mean, everybody else saw it much more almost as like an internship where instead of being unpaid, it was like for sex. Why wasn't she able to leave? Like, why was everybody else able to leave? Like, that's the story I want to hear. Like, what happens to somebody that they could be trapped in this, like, terrible job for eight years? Like, she just had no... Like, it was the lack of confidence. Like, she really didn't believe in herself. She didn't believe in her looks, her anything. But, like, this is a point that you made the other day that is really interesting. Is like, why did someone who is so convinced that she's unattractive feel the need to try and succeed in a looks-based business. Yeah, I mean, why was it so important to her to get this validation of being beautiful? Like, why? She says she was suicidally depressed. Like, she went and got um, antidepressants. She also, her attitude towards antidepressants, I thought, was really sick. She really acted like... Yeah, she was, like, on them and then, like, weaned off of them after, like, she's like, okay, I felt better, I'm done. And, like, the way she acts like they were, like, a mistake crutch that she used one time but then was able to get over it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I felt that that was... Strange. um, Strange and... Yeah. I also want to say one thing that is really interesting is, like, how throughout the book she insists that she wants the best for Hef, like, no matter how horrible her time was, like, how everything went. She hates when people are mean to him. She hates... When other people talk shit about him, like she hates when people would like laugh at him when he was dancing in the club and looked ridiculous. Um, Meanwhile, this book is the meanest thing I've ever seen about Hugh Hefner. Yeah, it is damning. It is cruel. I guess we'll read Kendra's book. I bet Kendra's book has way left to do with half because Kendra actually did have a life after half. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yeah, this book is like straight up mean about him like it is the way she talks about how he would like throw these tantrums and cry when the girls upset him or broke rules or did things and he'd be like why don't you guys love it's like clearly he is also a deeply damaged and out of his mind person his i mean the story of crystal i mean that's one of the problems of holly i think is that she's able to take no uh, responsibility for anything mm-hmm. at the end after she leaves Hef gets new girlfriends the show is canceled immediately because the girls were the lifeblood of that show right it was but obviously not about Hef. It w- they were not replaceable <laughs> yeah um but he gets a new girlfriend named crystal harris who we all hates know uh, Holly and they are constantly feuding and she'll say things like, yeah, Crystal's mad at me. Cause she claims I like we fought on Twitter and she's like, we didn't fight. Just everybody was tagging us both in this thing where everyone thinks she copied me. And all I did was say, I hate copycats, get your own personality. But she's like, but I didn't tag her in it. And it's like, she's like, why is this girl mad at me? And it's like, yeah, it's very clear why she's mad at you. I mean, even the example I think you bring up a lot about being like, when she first started the mansion, the rules were so strict and so random and unspoken that she never knew how to act. So she came off as very cold. And now whenever she meets a new girl, she's like, she gave me a bad first impression. I hate her. And it's like, why don't you, why can't you see that like other people might've been in the same position you were in? Like, why are you so unforgiving? You're so judgmental. And And she also feels very, so she became the number one girlfriend pretty quickly. And then was like, whenever the old number one girlfriend would come back to the house for things, 
um, she felt very threatened by her. I think her name was like Trisha or something. She like felt extremely threatened by Trisha. So like, why would Crystal see you and not feel horribly threatened? You know what I mean? Especially because she was coming off this huge success for Playboy. Like she was, I mean, kind of put Playboy back on the map. I mean, she just like seemed to have no ability to see anything from anybody else's perspective. She really likes to see herself as the victim fighter who like survived. And it was like, but nobody else was down there in the trenches with me, even though they were all literally living in the exact same situation. Like she was fighting a war against literally everyone she met. That's why she's a fighter is because like, it was like a very like Matt mentality. <laughs> if you guys, then the people yeah. who know, know <laughs> like everyone is and the enemy. And if you want to know like, more, subscribe to our Patreon. Yeah. If you want the deets, I'll like, expound on that. But like, it really is like, she thinks everyone is against her all the time. And like, it's impossible for her to see a situation in which like, for me, the most calming mental process is to remember that like, people aren't thinking about me that often. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not in a fight with everyone. Like, most people's actions are not about me at all, ever. And that's fine. The thing is, if you come at everybody like you're on the defense, they aren't going to like you. Like, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you start every interaction like a war, people are going to be like, why is this girl coming at me? I guess we're... Totally. Um, Yeah, I mean, she, like... She, like, hated Kendra at first for the way that Kendra just, like, kind of came in with confidence and, like, in, like, a classic reality show trope, even though they weren't on a reality show yet, Kendra was not there to make friends. Like, Kendra was there to, like, Kendra basically moved in from her high school graduation and was, like, there to get her bag and get out. And then they ended up on a TV show. And, like, she talks about how being on the show really kind of, like, bonded them Um, But she still had a lot of resentment towards Kendra, which led to their falling out where like she really felt like everyone was like on team Kendra and she was there just sort of like trying to keep things afloat. Like she was like, we can't just all do things the way Kendra wants to do them. There's traditions and there's rules and there's things in place that we have to follow. And Kendra didn't have any sort of like care for that. And I think that's at the end, like what undid them is that like she has like this strict sense of rules that nobody else gives a shit about (laughs) yeah i mean she was like so mad that this stripper from like this 19 year old stripper would show up but when you think about who these girls were there were all girls under 25 who were clearly damaged who showed up to like have sex with an old man in order to have a house like these were not healthy people like they weren't gonna have a normal situation and then another thing i want to say about it is i think there was one moment when she's talking to the head girlfriend as before she is early on she's finding out that a lot of them literally are uh escorts on the side and the girl says something to her, like, well, of course, we're all damaged. Why else would she be here? And Holly is really taken aback by that. But what I find interesting is that she doesn't either confirm or deny. She's just shocked that she would say that. But in the book, she doesn't say, oh, of course, I'm damaged, too. Or she doesn't go, not me, though. And I kind of am like, that was the blank that we needed filled in. Yeah. Like, Holly, why are you here? And, like, like why don't you have compassion for these people? You guys are all fucked up. It is, like, a fucked up thing to choose to do. Right at the gate. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one thing, I guess, to have sex and then get your pictorial, but it is another thing to, like, live at this house where you're 23 and not allowed to leave. Yeah, they had a 9 p.m. curfew, and she talks with so much resentment about how they weren't living like a normal 20-something is supposed to live, and it's like, yeah, because you moved in with a man with seven girlfriends. Like, that's you could not- have left at any time. You were free, and they had nothing to do until 9 p.m. They had two days a week they had to go clubbing. You could have easily gone and become a receptionist or something in the day, stored away a shit ton of money, mm-hmm. and had a fresh start but you didn't you chose to not do shit and she would talk about how bored she was all the time she'd like we just lounge by the pool or like um you know just like go shopping and like eventually when Bridget Marquot comes in Bridget like sort of inspires her to start taking um like extension classes at UCLA and stuff which I think was like a good move but like it basically didn't even occur to her that she could be like doing something for herself during that time what are you doing until 9 p.m every day exactly they had literally two days a week at night that they were busy um this is okay so this is like an interesting quote that i just happened to flip to but when you were talking about her like narkiness um so like kendra moves in obviously the old girls who had not been nice to her for quite some time were eventually gone now kendra so Bridget came in, which Holly loved because she and Bridget luckily got along very well. Then She claims that her and Bridget were the only two girls in the history of Playboy to not cheat on half. Yeah, it's psychotic. Um, and even that's so like, uh, of course, you and your one friend, you're so moral. You can never be friends with these cheaters who are cheating on what? They're basically cheating 
they're all escorts. You can't cheat on a John. Talks with resentment about the fact that Hef had so many girlfriends, but they weren't allowed to talk to other guys. It's like they were allowed to. They just had to be smarter about it. Like, I don't know. So she, they're out clubbing. It's a club night. Hef was oblivious to what just happened. Okay, so Kendra was dancing up on a table, which Holly found quite garish, and she kicked a candle. And um, it landed on Holly's leg and she jumped up and she was startled and Hef was oblivious but saw that something went wrong. Um, So she stood up and to Hef said, Kendra just dumped hot wax all over my leg. She knocked that candle over while she was dancing, looked right at me and didn't even apologize. And Hef says, I'm sure she didn't mean it, ignoring how upset I was, whatever. And so, and he just kind of ignores off her like tantrum. And it's just like, yeah, because that's exactly what it was. Like, obviously that is obnoxious, but like if you've ever been to a club, people bump into you, like spill things. Like, yeah, they're all drunk. I mean, the Quaaludes, he would regularly offer everybody Quaaludes because he called them like thigh openers. So everybody's fucked up and on Quaaludes. The first time she ever met him, he offered her Quaaludes and called them thigh open, or not the first time she met him, the first night she was out clubbing. But apparently that was his regular go-to. So yes. he's always offered. So everybody at this club is drunk and on Quaaludes and 20 years old. I'm sorry you got bumped. Yeah. It's like, obviously that probably hurt. And I'm sure it like left a little mark the next day that eventually faded. But like, I don't understand why you think that like, I don't know. It just like, is this weird thing where she like, can't believe that he doesn't, take her side all the time over everything and he like wants to hear her little outbursts and like when other people wrong it's like it's like weird. she so you've never met a ex- grandpa grandpas don't really want to put up with your shit like, like she, old men have a way they want things done and they don't mm-hmm. really want to hear about your drama anymore like she keeps on having this expectation of him to like be a boyfriend do you know yeah, i mean that's insane and on you dude it's insane it's like I don't know. Like, I do feel bad for the outbursts and the rules and the, like, you know, mood swings. Like, he seems quite mood swingy, which is very tough and, like, scary to deal with someone who's like that, where, like, you don't know what mood you're catching them in. But, again, the door was always open for her to leave. She just didn't know what else to do with her life. Like, she's constantly talking about, like, how as soon as, like, the mean girls are gone, everything will be good. And then as soon as, you know, the other girls are gone and she's the only girlfriend, everything will be good. And then as soon as, like... There's always, like, a next step that, like, will change her life and make it better. But it's always, like, for what? Like, what is her ultimate goal? It's, like, very tough to tell. Well, I would say, you know, I like to give my Enneagram rundowns of people. Mm-hmm. I would say she is a two. Uh-huh. And the main the main motivation of a two is to be loved. All they yeah. want on earth is to have somebody to love them. And she does, for whatever reason, like and she's this is real... where we need to know mm-hmm. about the childhood. Because it's, like, why did you pick an 80-year-old man who objectifies women professionally like as, as yeah. like an icon of an objectification. She wanted to be like the number one fighter too. <laughs> but like she, why did you want to be loved by him so badly? That was her goal. Her goal, as you just said, was always to be the one and only girlfriend and have a family with this man. But why was that your goal? What happened? And yeah, how did you get, I don't know. She was hard to like. Yeah. She's hard to like. Cause then, and I think this, I think we can wrap it up with this. Yeah. Um, the final thing is she goes on. Oh my God, we didn't even get into the Chris Angel stuff. I was literally going to say, I thought that's what you're going to get into right now. I guess we could do it. Real- so basically after this, she goes into an even worse. I wouldn't even say worse. It was just, he was younger. So we had more energy, but she yeah. went into another almost identically toxic, controlling relationship with a man who was just her age. So he was able, not even, he was like 12 years older than her. Yeah. He was older than her, but like compared to Hef, they were, identical twins yeah. <laughs> so um she got into another terrible issue with him they were in la she gets sucked into just being a professional girlfriend not allowed to have she never has friends she's not a girl with friends yeah i mean so from girls next door um because they did start getting paid for that after that she had saved enough money to like when she broke up with heaven moved out she bought herself a condo And then she immediately enters this relationship with Chris Angel and he has a residency in Vegas. So she's always just in Vegas. Like she goes back to LA like less and less because he doesn't like to be apart from her. He's really controlling and psychotic. She has no friends. Um, What were you saying? Oh, I was going to say overall, but my final annoying thought about Holly was, was that she's like, 
my life has been harder because of Playboy. I would have, like, I would have been much, she acts like she would have been more successful without Playboy. And it's like, but she would have been nothing without Playboy. She claims that her show, Holly's World, got canceled after two seasons because they didn't want any more playmates on it. I find that hard to believe. I think they were just moving into the Kardashian so world where they were doing all their, like, they had other spinoffs. They I think just people, had better shows. Like, she claims that, like, they were canceled for no reason, even though they were well received because they just, she was being, held it was held against her that she was a playmate and I was like I don't know you were only on TV because you were a playmate yeah I mean she does talk pretty often about how like how much she resents the fact that like now everything she does is like viewed through this playboy lens like she'll always be viewed as this playboy person and it's like okay you didn't even graduate college you became a Hooters waitress who then moved into the mansion and then from there the only like real job you've ever had besides Hooters is working at playboy as that photo assistant that is a job you got through the show and then, then since, you wrote an entire book about what it was like to be a playboy. And like, that's since what's interesting. Then about you. all she's, she likes had Holly's world, which was about her life after the mansion. That's what it was about. And she also starred in peep show in Vegas, which was like, she talks about how hard she worked for that. And it's like, it was offered to you essentially as like, it was a three month gig that like, because she tried so hard to do a good job, it got extended and she became like really the face of that show. But like, it doesn't really strike me as something she like worked hard for. Well, no, I mean, um. it doesn't strike me as something that she would have gotten without Playboy. I'm sure yes. she did a good job, and obviously, she I did. do think she did a good job, and I think she worked hard at it. But I don't think but she it worked hard something for it. And no <laughs> way did doing Playboy hold her back from that role. Right, it's why it, she got the role. Yeah. And she like talks so often about how she hates that still, even after Peep Show and Holly's World, people still consider her as like someone from Playboy, and it's like. I mean, Jennifer freaking Aniston is still Rachel from Friends. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, people That's know like, you for the most famous thing that you got famous doing. So, yeah. <laughs> sorry, bitch. Um, uh, overall, I of course, she's divorced now. I hope she goes to therapy and works on herself. She does just seem like an annoying girl who just, like, wants to be a wife and whatever. Yeah, I mean, you were talking about how Jessica's a pick-me-and girl. This girl is, like, a pick me and if you pick anybody else this I think that has, you, it's I mean, like a Jessica personal had friends. <laughs> sure they all worked for her and she didn't think her friends had other friends but <laughs> but Holly literally does not have friends yeah yeah I mean so at the end of the day this book made me like Holly Madison a lot less I do want the best for her like I really want her to go to therapy I want her to be happy I want her daughter to grow up with like a positive role model because it is her daughter, Rainbow. Rainbow. I want Rainbow to be a happy little rainbow. Um, but I like, I don't know, like going into this, I was excited to read because I loved Girls Next Door. And after, it, like this book made me genuinely sad. Well, 